we are back for another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're exploding out of the gates with an episode filled with, you know, wild conjecture, premature conclusions after just one match day in the Bundesliga. With me to take it all in is my traditional co-pilot for all episodes that feature a Berlin Derby. Kit Holden. Allow me, allow me first off to get my congratulations out of the way here at the top. Not just for the win for Union, but for your new book. Tell me all about it, Kit. Thanks, Matt. Hi, lovely to be on as always. Yeah, a well-timed Derby win about two weeks before my new book uh, comes out about Union and how Union are just well continuing to go up and up and up, and uh, the success never seems to stop. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be a link or something at some point in <laughs> in the in the tweeting and things. So yeah, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Oh no doubt, no doubt. Please buy a copy. <laughs> Absolutely, there will be much more to come about Kit's book later on in the show, including actually a draw for a free copy courtesy of Duckworth Books. That's coming up later in the pod. Anyway, we're going to be right back with the best and the rest of Match Day 1. We'll take a look ahead at the season to come. But while I have you here, please do uh, you know take a moment to subscribe. Do leave us a five-star rating if you feel strongly. And why wouldn't you feel strongly? It really helps to get the word out about the pod to the new listeners. Please do consider also becoming a supporter of us on Patreon. we got lots of timeless content over there. Lots to come as this season proceeds. we got historic Match Day moments series starting up. It uh, actually got a post up already. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Director, part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. And, uh, you know, in, in this week's case, we're also going to talk a little bit about the season to come. It was a busy schedule for me personally this past week. I have some family in town. Just wasn't really enough time to get a season preview together. But, you know, let's just talk about what's already going on and, and what might be ahead. I suppose where we should start this season is with the big players, the sort of title hopefuls, the you know European participants here in the Bundesliga. We're always being a bit generous when we talk about title hopefuls, plural, in the Bundesliga, but it's early days. Why not? It doesn't mean that Bayern need to win an 11th title in a row, even though I think we're all betting on it. Three games, I think, fall under the category of the big players in the league. That would be Eintracht versus Bayern, Dortmund versus Leverkusen, and then Stuttgart versus Leipzig. You know, funnily enough or conveniently enough, four of the five German participants in the Champions League this season were were playing each other. We might as well start with the one that started the whole season off. It was Eintracht. 6-1 loss at home to Bayern Munich. I mean, this was this was a game that uh, was not close. Bayern were up early. They scored often. It made me kind of think of Frankfurt. Are you DC United in disguise? Because, you know, Bayern had, had taken apart that rather bad MLS side a couple of weeks earlier by a very similar scoreline to this one. Obviously, the elephant in the room for FC Bayern these days is the departure of Robert Lewandowski. There was a huge question mark at the end of last season when the writing was kind of already on the wall that he might be on his way out. The post-Lewandowski era has now begun, and it looks pretty good, right, Kit? 
Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that when there's a thesis being put around it towards the end of last season that, you know, despite how good Lewandowski is, maybe Nagelsmann would be happier without him because he wouldn't have to build a team around him and attack around him. And it suits Nagelsmann's football a little bit more to uh, to not have him there, which which kind of in hindsight does sound a bit like, you know, sour grapes being like, oh, do more you anyway. We, we can do fine without you, Robert Lewandowski. But uh, it turns out they can. I mean, you know, not just the amount of goals they score, but the way Bayern attacked with that kind of fluid front three or four, particularly in the first half against Frankfurt, kind of did show that maybe they're just as good without a kind of fixed focal point of that world-class attack, which remains world-class even without him. So, yeah, it's a good, certainly a good sign for Nagelsmann and a good sign for Bayern. But, yeah, I wouldn't get too carried away because I think... The thing about Lewandowski is the sheer level of or the sheer amount of goals that he delivers across the season consistently. And, and that'll be the big test, obviously, not the first game or not even any individual game, whether they can be brilliant without him, because that's that's obvious. But whether or not they can be consistently brilliant, whether or not they can be brilliant in the really big games, the Champions League quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. So, yeah, the jury is still out, but, but promising signs for Bayern and Nagelsmann. Yeah, yeah, I was really happy actually for for both Robert Lewandowski, who very clearly wanted out, and 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 Bayern were playing very hard to get when it came to agreeing to a deal with Barcelona. I rather thought that it was beginning to reflect a little badly on Bayern the way that they were, you know, not sort of going along with the wishes of a player who had scored so many goals for them, and the early returns for him are actually quite good at Barcelona. He scored and set up a, a Pedri goal quite brilliantly over the weekend. I'm actually happy to see them both doing well without each other. Bayern, of course, came upon some money from that deal, as well as uh, spent pretty big, probably more than they took in, for the likes of Sadio Mane and uh, Matthijs de Ligt. It's very interesting. At the end of last season, I think that there was kind of a bit of a unease about the departure of Lewandowski, about the potential departure of some other long-serving players, with the addition of some good new players, all of which have, have sort of fit in pretty well nicely. I feel like there's a strange feeling of harmony at Bayern, which is as unaccustomed. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like I say, let's see how long it lasts. I mean, <laughs> you win six one, and you kind of get a, a festering issue off your plate early on in the season or before the season starts. Then, yeah, you're probably going to feel slightly better than you did having just been knocked out of the Champions League by Villarreal, and and with that festering issue still still looming over you. But yeah, as I say, the question will be how much that translates to the rest of the season. And we saw last year how quickly it can go south around that crucial kind of final bend of the season around March and April. I mean, Nagelsmann's Bayern, maybe the defeat against Bochum is a kind of exception, but but at their best, they looked really, really good. And there was quite a lot of optimism about them, particularly at the start of the season. And then suddenly you get to the spring and, and everything is wrong. The wheels are coming off and the fundamentally flawed team and all the rest of it. So that is how it, how it goes at Bayern. And Nagelsmann knows that and he knows that he's under pressure, given, given that they were slightly under par last season. So, yeah, let's see how long the harmony lasts. But, yeah, I think Bayern fans can be can be happy for the time being. Yep, yep. It's interesting. After that uh, win in the Super Cup, after this thundering win in, you know, week one of the Bundesliga, I was momentarily surprised to see some fresh quotes from Philipp Lahm this morning saying something to the effect of, uh, ha, well, you know, now's when Nagelsmann has to prove himself, you know, in the short term, things are looking great. But Philipp Lahm... Longtime Bayern player, you know, 
he knows what the real measuring stick is. It's, it's not, you know, beating Eintracht 6-1 on week one. It is, you know, getting to the last four or winning the Champions League, winning the league, winning the cup, you know, being a juggernaut, not uh, sort of flickers of brilliance. We should probably talk a little bit about Eintracht, both in this game and sort of moving forward. I mean, they got to the top of the mountain that they were looking for last season in winning the Europa League, in qualifying for the Champions League. I think if we look at the last, I don't know, four or five seasons in the Bundesliga and look at sort of the general pecking order, Eintracht's rise is really one of the big stories uh, over the last several years. Do you think that they might be ready to take the next step and establish themselves with this squad, with this coach, or could they be in for a, a difficult ride? They've had two long campaigns in the Europa League in recent seasons, but Champions League is a whole new ballgame. It is, but I think it's a ballgame that they, given that it's such a bonus for them that they were never expecting, that they can just kind of approach with a you know nothing to lose attitude and, and enjoy the games they get if they get into the knockout stages and get a, a favourable group that allows them to do that, then you know the income is probably much more than in the Europa League. And if they don't, then they can still finish third in any group, I think, and, and then they're back in the Europa League and we know that they're, they're good enough to win that competition. So I, don't, I think they can look forward and, look, and be confident about the European season. And I think domestically, I mean, despite the scoreline, despite the fact that they were considerably worse than Bayern and the scoreline wasn't, you know, necessarily flattering to Bayern even. It wasn't like this was a team where you didn't see anything at all that might turn out to go well uh, in the next few weeks. I mean, there were flickers of positivity with the new striker. You know, they still look like a coherent team. And Yeah, Moani looked up for it with that yeah. uh, you know, yeah. sort of predatory goal he got. Exactly. And and they've shown in the last last few years as well that they are not only able to, to do it over one season with one squad or with one team or with a few you know, key players leading the line, they're able to, to have that renewal as well when, when key players leave, which they inevitably do at a club of Frankfurt's size. And also, I mean, it's worth remembering they started last year badly as well. I mean, you know, Glasner's start at Frankfurt was pretty poor. It looked like it, you know, might go in the same way Adi Hutter's first half season at Gladbach went. But in the end, they rallied in almost the opposite of what I was just saying about Bayern around that, that key period of the season. They were there in the big games, in the big Europa League games, and they, they created a, a vintage year. So I, I think I'd still be pretty optimistic as a Frankfurt fan. And, and I think there will be a hangover from that Europa League season. And I think it, it might last until uh, even into kind of September, October time. But I still think that beyond that, they have the quality and the, the kind of calm around the club to put in another really good season. Quick caveat there, still some rumors surrounding Philip Kostic. West Ham has wanted him all summer. He doesn't seem to be particularly interested. Juventus lately has been um, putting out some feelers for him. That seems to um, get his, his juices flowing a little bit more. It's possible that the big game in Helsinki against Real Madrid might be a swan song for him. How much would that actually change their fortunes, do you reckon? I, mean, I, th I think it would weaken them dramatically because he's not only a, a very, very good player, but he's, he's a very, very specific weapon. And it's quite hard to kind of replace that that incision on the counter-attack. And, and, you know, West Ham are just one of many defences who <laughs> terrorised in last year's Europa League. Um, I can see why he wouldn't want to go to that club having played in that stadium. I say that as a fan of West Ham before any West Ham fans uh, <laughs> jump on me. But... Yeah, at the same time, like I say, Frankfurt have shown that they're able to, to rebuild it. It still looks like a coherent squad. When Nancy Rovic left, when Luka Jovic left, 
we were saying the same thing. Oh, okay, this is that's the generation gone. That's the team, you know, gone. And I think Kostic leaving would, of course, be a blow. But again, I think the club is stable enough to to, to rally from that. All right. Okay. Let's talk about the other big clash over the weekend. This one was the Saturday night top spiel. It pitted uh, Borussia Dortmund versus Bayer Nulfia Leverkusen. Not really the fireworks show that some of us might have expected from, from a couple of clubs who historically anyway are not afraid to really attack with gusto, but, but a pretty entertaining game in, in its own way. What did, what did you make of this game? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of the 1-0 is a bit misleading, I think, as a scoreline, because particularly in the first half, it seemed to be pretty, uh, quite a lot of chances for, for both teams, and, and that kind of it did look at, at some point like it might be another 4-3. I think they've had two or three four threes in the last three a few years in that, in that fixture. So, yeah, uh, entertaining game. Again, it's difficult always with these sort of first game of the season to read too much into it. But I think both teams are genuine titles contenders this year, and I, I, I kind of am always wary of this pessimism it's oh well you know buying are way too big and they you know they're just so much richer and they're so much this and that and actually these are two very very high quality teams with you know players who are internationals players who the big teams in europe will be looking at and are looking at they are capable of beating Bayern over a season both of them they need to be very much on their game and have a bit of luck and Bayern needs to have a bad bad phase but that's true of any any league with any team that's richer than the rest but both of them have have a lot of quality and, and we saw a bit of that last weekend yeah, I guess the big story sort of twofold coming out of this game is the sort of um, rotating sort of variable situation up front for Bayfowl Bay. Earlier this summer, big purchase, Sebastian Allaire coming in with a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectation. He had the, the, the grave misfortune of uh, being diagnosed with a testicular tumor, and now he's going to be, uh, you know, doing some, some chemotherapy. So he's out of action. Karim Adeyemi played... Not exactly up front, but sort of a wide forward role in this game. Hurt himself in the first half, so he'll be out for a little bit. Yusufa Mokoko, the sort of uh, perennial youngster on the way. Now Dortmund goes out and sort of sets Anthony Modest from Erste FC Köln in front of his nose. Is this going to be a, a fruitful move for them, or is this going to be uh, sort of a stopgap solution that um, you know has some chance to go sideways? Yeah, I think it's a very sharp piece of business from Dortmund, and another one in a in a very strong transfer summer. You might say Modest is possibly the best striker at that level that they can realistically get hold of at this notice in the Bundesliga, and. This was a situation that was totally unexpected for them, uh, that Alain would, would not be able to play for, for a considerable amount of time. The kicker had a, a comment piece today saying that, that this showed that Modest was a very you know selfish and self-interested person and he, he treated Cologne very badly, which I thought was very odd because... I, as far as I found says, that piece totally off the wall too. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very strange take because, I mean, I just think... Well, firstly, this is a player who's who's to China for a couple of years. I mean, there's no, he's never made any bones about the fact that he's, he's playing football for money. That's fine. You know, he's a professional. Secondly, if you're playing for Cologne and Borussia Dortmund come along and say, we need you to play for us for six months, then you have to be pretty 
confident in the fact that you want to stay at Cologne and, and where Cologne are going to, to turn down. How old is Modeste as well? He must be still in his 20s. So, I mean, it's a good opportunity. I don't see I don't see anything bad about it unless you're a Cologne fan. But, I mean, personally, morally, I don't see anything bad about him going there. And, yeah, good good solution to a to an unexpected problem. And I think, as I say, it sort of crowns a, a very, very strong and promising summer transfer window for Dortmund. You know, they have run into a, a degree of difficulty. Not only has Allaire gone down, but at least for a short term, uh, Nicholas Zuda uh, is out of action. So things are not uh, moving super smoothly in that respect. But I, I do think it's going to work itself out. And I do think this is going to be uh, a strong season for them as long as they um, can clear up <laughs> some of their eternal weaknesses at the back, which, you know, the likes of, of Zula were supposed to do. Talking about Leverkusen, you mentioned them as a team who you really do see as a legit title candidate with all the caveats you mentioned. On the other hand, they lost this game. They were knocked out of the cup last week. What sort of do you see down the road for them needs to go differently? I mean, I, I, I don't want to take things too far because this was not a bad game from them. This this is a game that I think very easily could have could have ended uh, level. But what do you see them as needing to do in order to be that legit title candidate? I mean, the thing that they've missed in the last few years is consistency and, and the ability to build on a good run. I mean, I, I don't I don't really doubt that they'll recover from from that cup defeat, which surprises a very poor performance. But as I say, I think they, they have the quality to at least be in the mixer for a lot of the season. And they've done that at various points in the last few years. They've had runs of, say, 10 games where they've suddenly been brilliant, looked unstoppable, and then they've crashed and burned and gone, you know, a few games without a win, and that's basically scuppered any kind of hope of really, really challenging for the title. And so the the big question, as ever, is if and when they, they have that run uh, and start looking like a proper title contender, can they maintain it? Can they bounce back quickly when they get the setback after it? Can they yeah, sustain it over a, over a year? And I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm optimistic, really. I, I, I just think the players they bought, the players they managed to keep, thinking about Patrick Schick, in, in the last few years and the sort of general stability bodes well. They haven't always had it in the last five or six years, that kind of level of stability and sense of growth. And I think they do have it at the moment. And maybe I'll be, you know, have egg on my face in about two months when Zeyuan has been sacked and they're, <laughs> they're sitting in 14th. But uh, I, I, yeah, personally, I do think they have a lot of quality. And, and if they can keep that kind of sustained run or that consistency going, then why not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's Leverkusen. That's, that's why not. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, keep your head above water until Florian Wirtz comes back and, uh, you know, you'll be surprised what can happen. Okay. Speaking of spectacular players who uh, have <laughs> a lot of effect on their team's fortunes, there's another one coming up here, probably the last of the five big sides in the Champions League. That is uh, RB Leipzig with their man of all moments, Christopher Nkunku. He scored in this game, although it didn't end up as a win for them. It was a 1-1 draw away to Stuttgart. I really thought that, you know, this is a great note for Stuttgart to to open the season on, though maybe a little bit fortunate. What, what do you reckon on this one? I think you still have to have to go and get it. And, and I think we saw the fearlessness of Matarazzo's uh, side, which is them at their best. Sure. One of their, their, very much their strong suits, which I think bodes well. And I think it's a good confidence boost, which for a team like this, which is still quite young, which has, you know, had deep, deep lows as well as not quite dizzying highs, but, but definitely some success in the last two or three years. Confidence is big. And I think getting a result like that to start is is 
very good. I wouldn't say they were massively lucky, but yeah, I think I think a, a reasonably fair result from what I saw of the game. And uh, I don't think either side will go out with it thinking, oh, how terrible, oh, how amazing. I think Leipzig looked good as well. I think they signed well. David Raum is a very, very good signing, I think. And if they can get Timo Werner back, which it, it looks like they're, they're trying to do, then that front line will be even stronger than it was last year. So could well be a promising season for them. Yeah, I think that uh, potential Werner return could be uh, a game changer, as they say, for the side. It, it will It will be interesting to see whether Werner being there changes on Kunku at all or, or how those two kind of interact as well, because that's not necessarily the clearest thing, how, they, how those two will work inside. Oh, game. yeah. I mean, it, already there's there's in any given game with the way that sort of the, the front three or even front, you know, I don't know. You could you could probably say more than that, considering the way they play sometimes. I mean, you know, Dominic Soboslai doesn't get starts very often. Emil Forsberg doesn't get starts very often. They found a way to fit Inkunku, Olmo, and Silva into this game, but there's a lot of games where they don't have room for all three. So that that could create some log jams. It's true. Right. Let's leave it right there for the first half. Although before we go, tell me how you think these five teams are going to stack up. Uh, are we going to see a different champion besides Bayern at the end of the season? Or is it going to be 11 for 11? Well, I, I, Bayern look good. And obviously the safe money is on them making 11 titles. But I'm always kind of optimistic. And I do think Leipzig and, and Dortmund have bought well. I think if they they do okay with injuries, then there's no reason why they can't trouble Bayern. And particularly if, you know, Nagelsmann is under enough pressure that if a team can can sustain a proper attack on them, they can really put pressure on, on the whole club and the atmosphere around Bayern. And that, you know, that that's the sort of thing that can tip the balance. You know, if suddenly things go sour around February or March at a club like Bayern, then it can, it can escalate quite quickly. So... I, I am optimistic and I tend to be quite sceptical about the whole theory that this is just a complete, completely unavoidable state of affairs that is entirely about the fact that Bayern are much richer and, uh, you know, there's no way of breaking that, that economic stranglehold they have on the league because I, I don't think that's... I, it is, of course, how it works, but I don't think it's it's a completely and utterly unbreakable rule. And I think it's entirely possible that a club as big as and as big and as rich as Dortmund or Leipzig can beat a club as rich as as Bayern over a league season. And I think the reason they haven't done so in the last few years are about other things as well as just the money they have. And so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the signs are more promising at the start of this season than, than they have been in previous seasons. And I think. Yeah, why not? Let's say Dortmund are going to win the league. All right, great. I'll I'll say not entirely seriously. I think Leverkusen will win. <laughs> <laughs> why not? I've got I've got cross fingers behind my back, but that's that's neither here nor there. We'll be right back with lots of talk about the rest of match day one, including the Berlin Derby. Here's part two of Talking Foosball Direct, part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. You know, in years, games, fixtures past, this game often featured in the best of the match day, the top of the show, partly because I would always have my man Kit Holden on to talk about it with me, a Hertha fan, him, an Union fan. But I just couldn't countenance putting it in the best section, in part because it just – 
this fixture just doesn't have at least obviously the atmosphere is great. The, it's it's cultural impact for the city of Berlin is great. It's got a a real frisson. But man, from a competitive level, this was not what it used to be. This used to be a fun fixture. It probably still is for you in its own way, kid, of course. But for me, a Hertha fan, and I suspect also for plenty of neutrals, it is just not anymore. Union are too good for their crosstown rivals these days. And I think everybody knows it. Did you sweat at all over this game in the days ahead of it, kid? I mean, I, I was interested before. I, I didn't think it would be quite as clear as it was on the pitch because even though, you know, Hertha were losing all their friendlies and got knocked out of the cup and all this stuff. Well, Nguyen also didn't play particularly well and against Chemnitz in the cup. And as ever, they having brought in so many new players and need a bit of time to find their feet. So I, I could I could see it going the other way as well. So, um, Posse Matis was a kind of uh, Union legend, goalkeeper in the 70s and 80s and before the game. And I, I asked him how he was feeling ahead of the derby and he said uh, oh I'm scared because at some point we're going to have to lose again aren't we and that's that I think is kind of the mindset that most people were on your when it's the game with objectively you can see that on your own the stronger team the more stable team and, and that they were absolutely favourites to win that game and that the result as it happened was no surprise but subjectively there's still a sense that on your is this is, is this really the status quo now are we really that much better than them and and Surely this can't last, you know, forever and ever and ever. Surely it can't be five wins in a row and six wins in a row and seven wins in a row. And for what it's worth, I'm I'm torn on whether it will be or not. But I think that's all down to Hertha because Union are basically doing what they've done for the last few years consistently, which is slowly but surely getting bigger and better, but at a very very steady pace. And Hertha have at best been been completely stagnant and remain so. So they need to break out of their cycle to make this fixture more interesting again. Mm, yeah, yeah, I reckon so. I think for all the talk about Hertha's um, sense of renewal, and I think that there has been a lot of that in, in a legitimate sense, both bringing in a young coach who seems to have a fairly clear tactical plan, which was not always the case in recent years, as well as the new president who's you know got a history as a as a as a real fan, as an ultra, which has sort of I think reoriented the club a little bit more toward its fan base and less toward the business community. And everyone's telling us that this is going to be a long process, both on and off the pitch, that uh, Zandra Schwartz's um, ideas are going to take time to implement. But, you know, I did not notice a lot of difference, at least in this game versus Darby's over the last season. And it was, it was pretty... It's pretty enervating, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I saw her to get basically punched around by Union three times last season, and then it just happened again. Did you notice anything much different? Not really, no. I mean, there were promising signs in the last sort of 10 or 15 minutes for Hatter, and uh, and I think it was interesting. I mean, Uspitcher admitted after the game that, that he'd quite surprisingly picked Julian Rice ahead of Nico Giesemann at left back, specifically to deal with Dodi Lukabakio and, and the pace he has, and I think had maybe Giesemann played and, and Lukabaki had a little bit more space to run into then could have been different in the first half. But he didn't, and Fischer made the right call. So, again, that's just Union being better than Hatter at the end of the day. Uh, Schwartz in the, in the post-match press conference was... I wouldn't say he was unconvincing. He, he, he looked like a guy who was quite had a lot of confidence in, in what he wanted to do and a lot of realism about how, how bad the situation is at Hatter and how long it would take. But he was also kind of... If you really drilled down, he was essentially 
saying things like there needs to be a bit more energy in this team or a bit more togetherness or a bit more readiness to fight and yeah all those things are true but the question is where where do you get that from and you didn't get the impression that Schwartz has a has a one idea that's definitely going to reinvigorate them from one day to the next and that's going to sort out all the problems and they're just going to suddenly change direction I think it is going to take time and I think the jury's still out on whether whether Schwartz can do it or not yeah, we'll see. I I hope they do, because I think that the derby is good for the city, like you say. And I think uh, Bernstein becoming president is, is a potential turning point for the club that they can kind of reset. His approach seems to be quite conciliatory as well towards the sort of factions who, who run against him in that presidential campaign. So I think at the moment, the signs are that he knows the way to run that ship and, and has quite a good feeling for, for what the club needs. Whether, yeah, he can put that into practice is... Another question, and the same goes for Schwartz and the and the team, is some kind of spark needs to come from somewhere. And at the moment, I don't see where it's coming from, to be honest. Yeah, I'm holding out hope that uh, some of the new signings, whether that's going to be uh, Wilfred Conga, who you know got some time, or, or Chidera Ijuke, also got a little bit of time, can strike up something into the future. I think that it sounds like they may well uh, work their way past the likes of uh, Davy Zelka and... <laughs> Well, you know, Union, transfer business, always a busy club there. Seem to do more right than wrong. Three newcomers in the starting 11, Diego Leite, Yannick Haber, Jordan Sibacha, or Payfock, as many of us here in, in the States know him. They were all excellent. How do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> I don't know. Ask Oliver Rooney. Don't ask me. Right? <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> if you told me in May that Union were going to sign... Well, I think Harbour might already have gone through by then. But anyway, see much and and Diogo later, I probably would have said who at that point. So then it does work, and and you know, I think Diogo later, I, I would say, is is the one who I can see going in both directions. Still, uh, he looked very good on on uh, Saturday, but he, that's a very competitive defence now with Heinz and Robin Knocher. <laughs> Robin Knocher, exactly. Um, and yeah, there are there are three or four very good good central defenders in that team. So, particularly when Timo Baumgartel uh, hopefully comes back uh, sooner rather than later um, from his own uh, tumor. Yeah, the tumor the, tumor wave in the Bundesliga. Oof. Yeah, I, w- I wonder whether it's because because I, th- I think Baumgartel was the first. It was towards yes. the end of last season, and I, I wonder whether his case just kind of inspired a few people to go and get checked who otherwise wouldn't or get checked you know a bit more often i i, I imagine that's the reason that we've had because it's three now there's been marco rister at hatter as well uh so it's three players three strikers no rister's not a striker no no there's one guy what am i talking about not three strikers three players in the Bundesliga uh have yeah been diagnosed with cystic cancer but all of them seem to be it happened good. to marco russ at uh, eintracht about oh, five course, six yeah. years ago as well so yeah, anyway, if and when Baumgartel gets back to, to playing, he was back in training last week, which is a good sign, then that defense is even stronger. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with Diogo later. I think Tibachu, barring injury or some huge drop-off in form, looks like a brilliant, brilliant replacement for, for Tobo Albany, if not even an upgrade. It's not too early to say that. And yeah, Yannick Harbour, I mean, again, like for like, almost a replacement for Grisha Primal, who was another big, big uh, loss for Union last summer. So they just keep doing it. And the ability to kind of integrate these new players, but also, I mean, I, I wrote something at the weekend about, about Geraldo Becker, who, who a year ago was, you know, kind of once away 
problem player who, you know, everyone was writing that he, he wanted to leave and he was moaning about not getting enough game time. And now he's he's in the team council. He is leading from the front. He's helping Zibacha Bifok integrate into the team. He looks like a, a real leader. And I think that's also a secret of Fischer and Runa is that their ability to... to get players into leadership roles and transform players who have been just bit part players or, or only players in a team to become real leading figures over, over quite a short space of time. And I think that's what's helped then integrate the new players whenever they come in and keep that kind of stability rolling, even though the, the squad turnover is so high. So, yeah, things seem to be going in, in the right direction. I'm always a bit wary uh, with Lanyon because they are still punching above their weight and if they continue on the current curve, they will continue to be punching above their weight. So there is always a drop-off that's possible. But yeah, if, if they keep getting lucky with no injuries and, and if they, you know, if other teams <laughs> keep messing up, then there's no reason to think they can't be just as successful this year. All right. Yes, yeah, speaking of punching above their weight, I think that uh, that's a pretty decent segue into uh, your book, your new book, the book that's coming out imminently, Kit. It's called Shisa. We're going up. It's it's out from uh, Duckworth Books very soon. You can pre-order from a link in the uh, episode description as well as uh, on, on social media, which we'll be putting out. Yeah, what, what, what was sort of your starting point for this? You've been an Union fan. You've been going to Union for many years. When did you start to think that uh, there's a book here? I suppose it was in the... In the promotion season, so there was a season two years before they actually went up where they held up this banner on. They were, they were in the promotion battle and they, they went top in about March and they held up this banner on the third side of the, where the ultras stand uh, saying, which became then a, a chant in the next two weeks. And it was a bit of a kind of ironic, self-deprecating thing from the from the Union fans poking fun at the fact that actually they were quite happy in the second division. They thought it was just where they wanted to be because it meant that they were kind of protected, if you like, from all the ills of, of top-level commercial football, while also being able to watch, you know, their club play against some of the top clubs in Germany and, and win enough games. They were never really, they were stable enough by that point. They were never really in that much danger of relegation. They weren't in that much danger of promotion. So this is this joke that, that going up would be a bad thing and shy that we're going up. That then got obviously got a lot of play two years later when they actually did go up. That picture started doing the rounds again. And I thought, I guess I just thought, yeah, there, there has not been a book yet about Onion. They've got a growing fan base uh, among among English speakers, so there probably should be one at some point, given that I know the club. Why don't I try and write it? And it always seemed to me that that kind of idea of, actually, we don't want that much success. Uh, we only want a little bit of a success, enough to keep us in the kind of culture that we, we have carved out for ourselves. That's not just a phenomenon on Onion. I think that's a phenomenon in, in quite a lot of, subcultures in Berlin who are, uh, which have been struggling with issues like gentrification and issues like space getting less and less in Berlin, the city getting richer and richer and therefore more and more expensive. There is a, a deep-seated angst, let's say, in, in this city about the city losing its soul because it's sold out uh, too much of itself to the world. And I think that kind of football's expression of that was, was on your own choice of a going up banner. So I took that idea and, and essentially I interviewed Twelve Onion is about Onion. It kind of traces the history of the club from the from the sixties up until today, and tries to kind of yeah explain why they think it's special and and what it is that they were kind of scared of losing, and whether they're still scared of losing it, and whether they are actually going to lose it. And at the same time, kind of yeah, with a bit of a nod to this, the fact that this is actually an all Berlin phenomenon, not just not just an Onion phenomenon. 
glad to hear that this is such a reporting interview driven book, you know, chapters with with sort of extended conversations with longtime Union people. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people have, have asked me, you know, is it all about your personal discovery of, of yourself at Onion? And uh, I think uh, if I had written a book like that, then my wife would have divorced me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I also don't, don't particularly like that style. Um, and I don't think it is really about me. Obviously, it's about me and that you should go and buy the book and, and <laughs> give me some money. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I try to make it about about the people on your because they're the people everyone comes to, to have a look at even more than the players or, or what goes on on the pitch. It's, it's what goes on in the stands and, and kind of the, the mad and wonderful figures that you, that you encounter there that, that sort of gets under people's skin. So I try to select a few of those and, and see what they have to say. All right. Well, if you found, you know, 12 fascinating people who are associated with this club, Tell me more about one of them and what, what makes them uh, interesting, what makes their relationship to the club unique or, or, or somehow noteworthy. So the first chapter is about a guy called Andorra, who is the, the artist behind Onion's Corner Flags, which if you, if you look closely at the first array, you, you'll see that they're not kind of normal, boring corner flags. They're, they're a little, little kind of cartoonish face. He sort of made, made it look like the corner flag is, is growing out of the pole and, and trying, to, trying to bite you somehow. And... He is essentially a pop artist, uh, one of Germany's most acclaimed pop artists, and he was an Onion fan as a kid in, in East Berlin in the 60s and 70s. Eventually, after many, many dramatic twists and turns in his tale, left, was, was effectively deported um, from, from East Germany because he was essentially persona non grata for the communist regime. He was bought out by the West, became a pop artist in the West, and forgot about Onion effectively uh, or, or consigned them to the, the dustbin of, of his own personal history for uh, a good 30, 40 years before in the 2000s, he sort of heard that they were playing BFC Dynamo, they're their big rivals from, from the 70s again and, and that things were going on there and that the fans had bled to keep the club, keep the club alive and things and he thought, oh, I'll go back. And then he, he fell in love with them all over again and, and has become a kind of yeah, unofficial club artist who who devises these completely mad works of, of yeah of pop art basically, including the corner flags, and has has wild tales to tell of of running on the pitch in in front of eighteen thousand Union fans in the derby against BFC Dynamo, being chased off by by Stasi officers in, in purple tracksuits and all these things. It's a fantastic, fantastic uh, storyteller, and yeah, uh, I sat down with him for. I think about two or three uh, several hour interview stints fueled by neat glasses of neat gin. <laughs> Thank God for digital recorders. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was <laughs> highly entertaining. Um, and yeah, uh, I think uh, he's, well, yeah, as I say, he's the first chapter and he's, he's quite a good introduction to, to the kind of that sense of romanticism and, and yeah, storytelling, which I think is quite, quite an important part of, of what makes anyone special. Cool, cool. That, that's a that's a nice connection to the sort of deeper history of the club, and in, in a way, I guess a bookend. And he's still a fan, but you know, I think folded into sort of the, the the theme or thesis of your book is that this is a club that is changing, that's under undergoing a profound change, much like the city of Berlin. And you know, at least from a sort of results perspective, things are going great as a top flight club. I mean, you know, stayed up easily the first season, made it to the, you know, conference league the next season, made it to the Europa League the next season. You know, how much of a window into the sort of future of the club 
and and sort of you know either it's active administrators or or, or whatnot. What did people have to say about where you, they think this club is going? Well, I think the. I mean, the, the last year trying to be the president, the president Dick Singler, and it's exactly about that. You know, what, what will Union become? Uh, where does he see Union in, in 10, 20, 30 years' time? And, and his kind of argument is that, yes, the club is changing. Yes, when they expand the stadium to almost 40,000 is the, the current plan, which is supposed to happen in the next couple of years. Of course, that will dramatically change, not just the amount of money the club has, but also the stadium atmosphere, which is such an important part of, of Union. But essentially, he's confident that they can retain something fundamental, which is that sense of, of home and community and family, I guess. And he argues that's because there are people like him, essentially, in, in all the important positions of the, of, uh, at the club. And what he means by people like him are people who, who know the club, who are from that region, who care about the club much more than it just being a job. Uh, it's actually a fundamental part of their life and always has been before and after they work for the club in whatever capacity. And I think I go along with him to a certain extent on that. I think that is something that does mark on you now from, from other similarly sized Bundesliga clubs. It's not entirely unique. Obviously, there are other clubs which have sporting directors from the region or whoever, but Union do do have people running them and have had people running them for a long time who do know the club inside out, know a lot of the fan base inside out, uh, know the history inside out. And I think that does make a difference. But it is always the question. It's the question is the same question in Berlin. You know, the, this city has, has gone through so much change it's you know political systems countries have, have ceased to exist within this city in the last in the last 40 years uh, same goes for on you know they were playing in a different country when they were founded in, in 1966 what it's never really had is a sustained period of peaceful success and that's why that's where the nervousness comes from you know is the club we know that the club and the city are able to withstand crises you know historical upheavals all these things are they able to withstand the slow, incremental, chipping away change of financial and economic growth and commercial growth? And I think that's a it's a question for Berlin, it's a question for Union, it's also a question generally for football. You know, at what, at what point does a football club cease to be what it once was? Uh, is it when it has a sponsor nobody likes? Is it when it, its stadium is big enough to welcome in 10,000 tourists every week? Is it when nobody's playing for the club or running the club anymore who, who is from that region. At what point do you do you draw that line and say, actually, this is now just a big commercial entity and, and no longer a club in the traditional sense rooted in, in a kind of regional community? And I think Union are one of many clubs across the world who are kind of treading on that line right now because they're simultaneously that this community is stronger than it ever has been because of the success and, and, and everything they've done in the last 15 years. But also, they're growing much faster than they ever have and they're getting more and more new people in and, and that creates tension. Yep. Well, yeah, Esther Union Berlin, another one of the big stories of the Bundesliga from recent seasons. Kit Holden, fan, journalist, all of the above, author, He's going to give you a, as good an overview of that story as I think there is to have in the English-speaking world. Order his book or, you know, just uh, retweet or reply to a designated Twitter post that we'll be putting out after this week's episode. We will choose two people at random to receive a copy. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to sort of whip through the remaining results from the week. Not a lot of time left, so 
you know, we'll get to your club next week. Augsburg and Freiburg squared off. Uh, it was a 4-0 win in Augsburg for Freiburg. Uh, that's, you know, of course, the other participant in the Europa League for the Bundesliga. Not a lot of going on in the first half of this one, but uh, Freiburg put the hammer down quickly in the second. Michal Gregoric got a goal after 16 seconds. You know, Vincenzo Grifo scored. Matthias Ginter scored. Rizzo Doan scored. Those guys are newcomers. The last time Freiburg were in the Europa League, of course, they had a really tough time. They ended up getting relegated, in fact. This is completely out of the question this time, right, Kit? Yeah, I think there's a, there's, this is a very different era for them. Uh, somebody's going on there. They're going fast this time rather than it being a sort of one-off fluke. I think it's a, uh, a symptom of uh, a more, more wide-reaching growth at that club. And, yeah, they, they look like a, uh, a serious team still this year. And, again, it bought well, as you mentioned, Doan, Ginter. Uh, these, are, these are very strong additions to an already strong team. And Augsburg, I know it's, I know it's very, um, it's a bit like saying Leverkusen are going to win the league, saying Augsburg are going to, going to go down. But I, I, I really wonder whether this is, this is finally the year that Augsburg do go down because they didn't look, A, they're not going to do it on one performance, but they really didn't look good at the weekend. And it's very hard to see, unlike in some of the previous seasons, who goes down ahead of them this year. Bochum are probably the only team you'd say, are, uh, on paper, smaller or weaker. And beyond that, I mean, unless Schalke are really bad again or, or, you know, another club suddenly suddenly decides to be much worse than they should be or they're expected to be, then Augsburg face a bit of a struggle to avoid that bottom three, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a ride. It's been 12 years, and I, I had a look in 10 of those 12 years, uh, Augsburg have been 12th or lower. So they know how to battle relegation. Maybe their luck will run out. We'll see. Cologne, they uh, defeated Schalke. You mentioned Schalke just a moment ago. It was a 3-1 win for Cologne in Cologne. You know, Cologne, of course, are, are the uh, Germany's great hope for the UEFA Europa Conference League. They were playing 11 against 10 for most of this game, uh, which certainly helped. But I, I kind of got the sense that it might have been a fairly one-sided affair in any case. I felt – at least from my reading of various sources, German and, and, and otherwise, ahead of this season, I felt a somewhat surprising sense of doom around Cologne going into this season. Maybe it has something to do with the sort of um, logjam of teams, you know, looking to stick around in the league. I think there, I saw a couple of folks uh, tipping them as potential relegation candidates, which, you know, considering their good season last year, would would be a bit surprising. Are, are you on board with? You know the doom and gloom party, or um, the everything's going to be all right party for Cologne. I mean, it's it's hard to judge. I mean, again, I think because the league is so competitive this season, it's hard to rule it out. I think it'd be interesting to see how they respond to losing Modest. There were plenty of games last year where where he rescued them uh, either a point or, or two points that they otherwise wouldn't have got. Can they can they be as good without him? Probably not. Does that mean they're going to be in a relegation fight? Maybe. Uh, the worst last season when I saw them play at Union last last year it was a sort of turning point in Union season and a really scrappy, horrible one 0 win. Both teams played dreadfully, and Cologne were particularly bad. But at their best, they were really good. And and Stefan Baumgart has brought a, a, a completely different kind of atmosphere to that club over the last twelve months. So. I, I, I can genuinely see, see that going both ways. I, I would not be surprised if they made it to Europe again, and I wouldn't be all that surprised if they end up in the relegation against St. Pauli at the end of the season. Uh, I think they're, they're a bit of a, a wonder tutor, as they say. Yep. 
That 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 is the kind of vague. I think <laughs> they they just they, they're 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 one thing or they're the other. Any confidence, particularly in Schalke? You know, obviously having watched them in just this one game, you know, it's too early to judge. But yeah, they don't seem to have a ton of quality. Maybe not, but I think they have a a, a ton of realism. And I, I spoke to Schroeder and Knebel at the end of last season when they, they went up and both of them were very keen to uh, impress upon me that the aim for next year was was absolutely only staying in the league and they had no delusions of grandeur about the fact that Schalke was suddenly going to be challenging for the top four again just because they're Schalke. And I think the rebuild has been in that spirit that let's build a team that is able to get out of the Zweitliga first and now let's build a team that is able to stay in the Bundesliga. And uh, I I think I think the game against Fulham was a little bit warped by by a red card in the in the first half, which maybe maybe shifted it a bit, and a few decisions which which went their way, which I don't think they were they were scandalous decisions, but they might have gone their way on on another day, and then the game might might turn out differently. But yeah, boy, did boy did Schalke complain a lot about they yes three VAR decisions went against them, but they were all correct decisions. Yeah. Tough luck, guys. Ultimately, and I think I, I mean to be honest, it's another another reason. I just think why VAR is superfluous because I think all of them were correct, but all of them you can probably argue them the other way as well, and that's the point. You know, in, in football, most of those decisions are kind of on that line and, and essentially all you need is just an authority, uh, an arbitrator, if you will, a referee to say, I have made this decision and now let's get on with the game. But, you know, that worked for 120 years or whatever, but suddenly, suddenly it's, you know, unthinkable. It's in, that's innovative thinking. Yeah. So we have to have to spend two minutes of every five minutes highlight package watching footage of the referee walking to the touchline and, and walking back again. And Making a rectangle with his fingers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it, it drives me up the wall. But yeah, anyway, I, I, I don't think they can feel hard done by particularly, but I, I think they were unlucky in the sense that those decisions might have gone the other way on another day and then, you know, the game might have been different. So I, 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 I'm quite optimistic about Schalke. I think they'll probably stay up. Uh, but how about the other side that just came up? Werder Bremen, they got a 2-2 win in – or 2-2 draw. <laughs> Felt like a win in Wolfsburg. I mean, it actually looked like they were going to win this game, in fact, for, for much of it. And they were 2-1 up going into the locker room. But uh, Joshua Gilavogi, late goal, tied things up. Do you see them as any better or less prepared than Chalco heading into this season? They made some you know, transfer moves of experienced Bundesliga players, although not terribly – Wonderful ones. I'm like, meh, almost peeper. That's a nice one. Mm, I think, I think they, I'd say they probably got a little bit more Bundesliga quality there, just instinctively than, than Schalke have. Schalke still seem a bit more, the squad seems to be a bit more kind of players like Bülter, Terodde, who are kind of more those kind of players who are on the cusp between the Bundesliga and the, and the Zweite Bundesliga. But yeah, I think, I think Bremen are really good on the weekend and I, I, I struggle to see them imploding as well. I, I, I rate Oliveira. I think he's, he's a really good coach. And even though it's his first Bundesliga season, I, I see no reason why why that success wouldn't wouldn't necessarily continue. So, yeah, again, I don't see them suddenly challenging for Europe, but uh, I think they have more than enough quality to stay up. And uh, I think with both of those teams, it would take a, a, a lot of bad luck or, or a certain kind of, you know, reason for them to have a crisis, lots of injuries or some off-field scandal or whatever to... to push them back into, into the relegation fight again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had in my notes here talking about Nico Kovac in Wolfsburg. Let's 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 save that for another day. Give him a few more games to, to show us some things. More interesting, maybe, is the two coaching changes that were made ahead of uh, the season for both Gladbach and 
Hoffenheim. You know, 3-1 win for Gladbach. Daniel Farke came out on top uh, against Andre Breitenreiter. Yeah, a bit of a weird one, really, in that uh, Hoffenheim first had a man sent off, then took the lead, and then just couldn't hold against all the pressure coming in from the falls for the remainder of the game. Which of these two teams who kind of had semi-disappointing seasons last year do you sort of back to rise up the ranks more strongly? Probably Gladbach, if I'm honest. And I, I feel a bit bad saying that because I, I feel it's kind of just it's, – it's predictable to say that Andre Brighton-Reiter is, is – not a particularly inspiring choice, but I just don't think he is a particularly inspiring choice. And I don't see him doing anything that Sebastian Jonas was, wasn't able to do. Uh, Farker, on the other hand, I think does have something, maybe something different to Adi Hutter with him. It could have worked, but it didn't work. He wants. He said he wants to play a, a particular brand of football. Didn't really see much of that at the weekend, but but if he's able to impose those ideas on the team, then I think Gladbach have yeah more more space above them, as you say in German, more more uh, kind of uh, potentials to do well. And I think you know Hoffenheim Hoffenheim remain a bit of a mystery to me. I don't really know what what they're trying to do <laughs> as a club, whether they're just trying to kind of stay in the league and keep the gate receipts and the sponsorship receipts, or or whether they actually have any designs to to do anything more because they just seem to kind of be there to make up the numbers a lot of the time, which is, yeah, feels a bit mean to say, but yeah, they're, they're a bit like, uh, you know, they're, they're like an off brand Leipzig at this point. They're sort of have more money than you would think for the, the size and history, but not enough to really make an impact. Yeah. I mean, even in, you know, sort of 10 years ago or so before, before, or even five years ago before Leipzig came up, you know, they still had that kind of, you know, although the, ire and the bile of the ultras kind of directed towards them but even that feels a bit flat now because they're just kind of oh yeah yeah we don't like these guys either it's a bit like Wolfsburg and Leverkusen you know some sometimes people remember that they hate them and other times they're just just dull and so I don't see them doing much but but Farker I think it'll be very interesting I think the jury's still out on him but I think there's there's potentially a an interesting project there and it's a it's a turning point for Gladbach I think a clean slate at the start of the season after what was a very turbulent season and and losing Max Ebel obviously is an end of an era for them last year so yeah let's see what he can do yep yep interesting move from Hoffenheim to bring in Angelino I think that's um that's actually a, a legitimate upgrade to you know what they were not maybe not at that position <laughs> can certainly lost David around, but I feel like that's um that's not the kind of purchase that we've seen from that club lately. A player who's actually made an impact at at a, at a big team in the Bundesliga. Uh, that's that's kind of been a higher up drawer than they've bought from lately. Yeah, I yeah. guess there's just only one more, one more game. That's uh, Bochum and Mainz. Mainz were two one winners in Bochum. Karim Anasiwo, you know, scored two goals, both with his head. Nice sort of big tall strikers goals, but it was actually Kevin Stuger, uh, the 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 ex Mainz man's goal from distance that's probably worth a YouTube watch. Not because it was necessarily intentional, but just because it's one of those goals that took a weird ass <laughs> flight path and uh, caught the caught the keeper off guard. It's actually it's rare you see two of those goals in one weekend because there was one in in the Freiburg Augsburg game as well, right? Yeah, Gikovic yeah. Got, got lobbed. So yeah, it's uh, not not a not a great weekend for the. Keep us stranded off that line. David Seymour-esque, helpless, helpless looks behind them as the ball loops over and into the top corner. His his brothers and flap. All right, that is it for this first edition of Talking Foosball Direct this season. It was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Lovely to have you back on, Kit. Lovely to be here, man. Nice. You can find him on Twitter at Kit Holden. You can pick up his new book, Shisa. We're going up. 
all about his club, FC Union Berlin, at all reputable booksellers in the coming days and weeks. We'll have a link, of course, to pre-order in the episode description. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter, TF Extra. They'll be coming up in a couple of days to give you your lower league fix. This, so next to all, y'all. 